Good morning, everyone. Excellent. How are you all doing? We are, <coughs> we're in a series uh, which is called Home, and it is about how we find a home with Jesus, um, and we're using encounters between Jesus and people um, from John's Gospel. So a couple of weeks ago, do commend the talk to Charles spoke on when Jesus met uh, Nicodemus, and today we're... Um, no surprise, we're doing The Woman at the Well. Uh, so we're, we're coming back around where Wendy was a minute ago. Um, but what I want to talk to us about this morning is I want to talk about um, the difference, uh, the relationship with Jesus that we, we receive when we come home to him makes. The difference the relationship with Jesus that we receive makes in our lives. Relationships are foundational. I was thinking about this. If you think about this, um, who you are most of what has shaped you will have been the relationships around you through the circumstances of life. Um, I'm not a psychologist, but I imagine if I took 10 people and I tried to put them through the exact same 10 circumstances, but the relationships with which they navigated those circumstances were different, I would end up with 10 very different people at the end. Does that make sense? The stuff of life is going to happen to us all, but it's who we travel with through those that shape us. So I'm reading um, Surrender, um, the book by Bono, which is kind of like an, um, an autobiography based around their songs. And it's very clear that um, Bono is who he father's funeral. The second one is the relationship um, that he had um, and was a really hard one with his grieving father throughout his whole of his teenage life. And then the third one is these redemptive relationships with friends and with teachers and with people of faith through his teenage years. Um, and he talks about the, how p through the circumstances of his life, it's the people who were there that has shaped, that have made him who he is. Relationships shape and form us. Now, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, that shouldn't surprise you because um, the book begins with us made for relationship. Um, the chief end of man, glorify God and enjoy him forever, as the Westminster um, Catechism says. And Wendy alluded to this, that when we... When the book begins, we are placed in a perfect relationship with God and with one another. And ever since the fall, we've been trying to work out how to identify ourselves in relation to God, our gods, and to one another. And we found ourselves kind of crashing into one another all of the time. And so actually, when we think about relationships, the relationships that we have or have had that are really good point us to the goodness of relationships and point us to how we were made originally. The relationships and that we either haven't had or that we've lost or that have broken us remind us that we live in a fallen world where all of that has been shattered. The good design has been shattered. And for Christians, um, put simply, what, what we say when we say we're following Jesus together is that we have come home in Jesus and we have found ourselves once again restored to the relationship for which we were made. And in doing so, we are shaped and changed in a, in a way that is unimaginably different to if we hadn't found that relationship again. And when we talk about coming home to Jesus and we look at people who he encounters, again and again, all Jesus is asking them to do is to come to him, is to come to him. So let's read um, that uh, story again from um, John chapter 4. It's going to come up on the screens. And I'm going to read it to us, and then we're going to pull a few things out of it. So now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. 
uh, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So he's traveling from the south to the north. Now he had to go through Samaria. So, so in between the south and the north was this area called Samaria. So um, very, very quickly, a bit of history. Uh, the kingdom of Israel splits into two. You get a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom, which is smaller, they're the guys of Jerusalem. The northern kingdom set themselves up. Um, and um, the exile comes. Um, both uh, the northern kingdom falls first. Both people get sort of taken into exile um, and lose their capitals and all this kind of things. But what had, hap- what had happened in Samaria was they had set themselves up with their own temple. They decided that they were going to use just the first five books of the Old Testament and not of the Old Testament canon. And then the other thing they did post-exile is, and, is they, they, in, they, they intermarried. And so by the time of Jesus' day, you have these people who are kind of not really Jews at all. Uh, they're not using the whole of the Jewish scriptures. They have this history of trying to worship on their own temple on another mountain, which um, the Jews had destroyed a couple of hundred years earlier. But that was in response to them having gone to the Jewish temple and left dead pigs all over the place, which isn't a good thing to do. Um, and uh, and they, were, they were viewed with utter suspicion by the Jews. They were, they were kind of seriously unclean, worse than Gentiles, because they were people who kind of should have known better but didn't. And if you were traveling from the south to the north, you had two options. You either went around six days or you went through three days. And when you went through, you had to be very careful about how you not defiling yourself as you go through. So you could stop and you could stay and you could buy some food, but you, weren't, you shouldn't be using their pottery and all that kind of thing. And you shouldn't really be interacting with them. So it's a kind of head down, get through. Um, it's a bit like if you've ever, if anybody's ever visited the country I grew up in, it's a bit like... Um, uh, and I've done this. If you've got a Southern Irish Reg car and you're driving through a village in Northern Ireland where everything's um, red, white, and blue, um, you generally ignore the speed limit. <laughs> Foot down, straight through. You don't engage. So this is where Jesus and his followers are traveling through. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. So we're rooting this in the history of the people of God. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, so the heat of the day. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? What we know is that actually the fact that she's come out in the heat of the day and she's come out on her own, that there is something about her story that doesn't add up. She should have come early in the day with the other woman uh, or late in the day with the other women, but not on her own in the heat of the day. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would, ask, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you've nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He said, Go back and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You were right when you say you've no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, not a good thing, and the man you now have is not your husband, also not a good thing. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you were a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship 
is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, they didn't call him the Messiah, they called him a different word, the restorer. Uh, Call Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, so as we go to groups, three things to think about our relate, the relationship that um, we are drawn into when we come home to Jesus. The first is this, it's a relationship that sustains us like no other. Jesus' promise to the woman is living water. It's an Old Testament promise that one day God will pour out living water. It's linked to an Old Testament promise that one day God will renew our hearts, for I will put a new heart in you. And specifically, it is about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. How do I know this? Because in a few chapters' time, Jesus is going to go back to Jerusalem, and in the last of the greatest day of the feast, he will stand up, and he will say, if anybody thirsts, let them come to me. And John will tell us, this was about the Holy Spirit, which had not yet been given. So, so that is why I know that's what Jesus is talking about, because Jesus says this is what he's talking about, and John says yes to that as well. This is about the presence of God in our lives. We are all looking for something or someone to sustain us, everybody, spiritually, mentally, physically. We were all made to be sustained by an unconditional loving relationship with God. And we walked away from it. And Jesus has brought that back to us through the cross. And he's poured out his spirit. And his spirit in us sustains us. His spirit in us doesn't depend on whether or not I'm tired or whether or not I'm angry or whether or not work is hard or whether or not my kids are driving me mad or whether or not whatever, it depends upon him. And the language that is used is that the Spirit is poured out. I don't know if you've ever seen anything poured out, but it's not done in small measure. This first thing that we discover about the relationship with God is it is a relationship of presence and of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and that that sustains us. When did somebody last pray for me or for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do I have in my own life getting up in the morning saying, God, fill me with your spirit? Paul says we need to go on being filled. He uses the continuous tense. It's not a one-off. It's, it's an ongoing thing. And it wells up and flows out of us. So the first thing we discover in Jesus, in home in Jesus, is a relationship that sustains us because it is a relationship of presence and it is a relationship in which the Spirit of God is poured out upon us. The second thing that we discover, and it flows directly from the experience of having received Jesus in the Spirit, is it is a relationship that frees us. A couple of weeks ago, Richard Moy said, uh, have you noticed that Jesus always backs everybody into a corner? 
Um, and the two encounters, you have Nicodemus and then you have the woman. And what happens is whenever we come to Jesus, we come to him with, with our story uh, and with who we think we are. And we come and kind of we bring that before him or we hide away from him. And Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you come and your story is one that you've done all this thinking and all this work and you are this brilliant Jewish mind. And yet Jesus says to him, despite all of that, Nicodemus, you can't can't even see the kingdom of God, let alone enter into it. And the shock there is that is actually Nicodemus, your story holds you back and you'll never be good enough for the kingdom of God. And then the next woman, this woman, what we know about her from the five husbands and the fact that this current guy isn't even a husband is that what however she got there that I can guarantee you that her life will have been marked by grief and disappointment and pain and ultimately because she's come to the well at midday shame and the Jesus who says to Nicodemus you will never be good enough in your own strength Nicodemus says to the woman at the well there is nothing there is nothing that bars you from entering the kingdom of God you'll never be good enough in your own strength There is nothing that bars you from entering the kingdom of God. And I guarantee you, all of us find ourselves somewhere on that spectrum. And what happens with our stories is our stories either become something that fix us and define us, in which that's basically how it's always going to be. We we think from the text that Nicodemus stepped out of his story and said yes to Jesus from what we read at the end of the gospel. We know that this woman did. And so our story is either a box that contains us um, I went back, it's 30 years this year for my school reunion. I remember going back to my 20th and having a teacher talk to me about me as if I was 18. My, your box defines me. I'm sadly not that different. Um, so that's some of us. Our stories actually define us. I am very different. But what happens with Jesus is our stories don't get wiped away. Instead of being a box that contains us, they become a signpost to who he is. The woman races off and says, let me tell you about a man who told me everything I ever did. Um, when, we st- when we receive the living water, the fullness of the Holy Spirit and Jesus, our stories cease to become something that hold us back, but they become something that he transforms and becomes signposts to Jesus. So Nicodemus' story is, I thought I knew it all, and then I met Jesus. I would hope that's what he's doing the whole of the way through the book of Acts, somewhere in the background. And her story is, I thought my life was marked by shame and guilt and disappointment, and I would never be good enough. And then I met Jesus. Um, and we did this this week in our podcast. We talked about Simon the leper. You know, we know, we know he's an ex-leper because he's having all these people around. That actually, Jesus transforms our stories. He frees us from them being prisons and boxes that contain us. And he turns them into signposts that point to him. And the way he does that is he takes all of the mess of them to the cross But the new life, the new life of Easter, when it's poured out at Pentecost, transforms us, sustains us, and it frees us from having to live in the box of our story. So, a relationship with Jesus is one that sustains because of the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. It's one that frees, and because the Holy Spirit frees us from having to hold on to our stories wherever on the spectrum they are, um, and it's one in which we see things differently. Um, so another way to think about spirit and truth is to talk about presence of God and reality. Presence and reality. That actually when I am filled with the Holy Spirit, when I receive Jesus, and when I am freed from my story, I begin to see the world in a different way 
And I see it in a kingdom way and not a culture way. I see it in a kingdom way and not a culture way. Um, I've reached a stage in life where I'm going to 50th birthday parties. Uh, and, about a month, uh, and I was at one a wee while ago, and a friend of mine came up to me. He said, oh, I've got some friends who are Seventh-day Adventists. I said, oh. He said, and uh, I was talking to them. We went along to their church. I said, okay. He said, I was talking. He said, did you know? He said, did you know? He said, they have to give 10% to the church. He said, that's mad. What do you think of that? So I said, yeah, that is mad. He went, what do you do? I said, well, I said, what we do in our church is I said, we don't say you have to. <laughs> I said, but what we do go, we say is, well, 10% is the bare minimum. It's either something to work up to or work on from. And he kind of went, what? I said, so like, for example, if you're like bumbling around at 10% and you've been there for years, I mean, I'd be like, Jesus has given himself fully for you. So what we would say is, it's not a question of what should I give, but what do I need to keep? And he looked to me like I was mad. And in his eyes, I am. Paul says the gospel is foolishness to the Greeks. It's a stumbling block because we see the world in a different way. We see kingdom generosity in a different way. And we see how we relate to one another in a different way. We see where history is headed in a different way. But they are not something that we can force on ourselves. When we say yes to Jesus and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, do you see how one leads to the other? We're then freed from our stories from the hold they have on us, so they become signposts to point to Jesus. And when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm freed from this box that I've been living in, I suddenly begin to see the world the way he sees the world and understand it the way he understands it. And so when we come home to Jesus and we receive him, this is what happens. We're drawn into a relationship full of the Holy Spirit that sustains us, a relationship in which our stories we are freed from, they don't constrain us, they become signposts to him. And we're drawn into a relationship in which we see the world differently. We see it how he sees it. Amen? Amen. Amen.